Hey, well, good morning, Redemption Tempe. Hey, it's great to see you guys. Really good to be with you guys this weekend. My name is John Crawford. I'm one of your pastors here. And I always love seeing your guys' faces, being with you guys, and opening God's word together. And that's what we are gonna do this morning as we continue our series in Isaiah. We're in Isaiah chapter 48 this morning. Well, Fletcher was a father and a successful businessman. He was a practicing lawyer, practicing law, who got caught up in his career and prioritized his success over his son named Max. Fletcher would make promises to Max and then he would break his promises. He would tell him that he was gonna show up at his events and take him to do things and go do fun things with him and Max looked forward to it and he anticipated time with his dad but Fletcher would bail on his son and end up working instead. Tragically, Max learned that he couldn't trust his dad because his dad didn't keep his word. And this was a source of pain for him in his life and perpetual letdown for him. And it got so bad that Max began to tell people that his dad was a liar. All he wanted in life was that his dad would keep his word. So much so that for one of his birthdays, the only thing he asked for was that his dad would keep his word, even if it was only for a day. If this story sounds familiar, it's because it's the story told in the movie Liar Liar with Jim Carrey. The 1997 hit movie that was incredibly popular when it came out. But why? Why was this movie so popular? Well, First off, it's Jim Carrey. It's the height of his comedy career in the late 90s. And so you have that, right? He's, he's a clown and he's funny. And so people were drawn to that. But there's another reason. There's something else why this was so popular. It's because it spoke to a deep desire in all of us. We want a father that we can trust. We have all had our trust broken in life. We've all experienced how Max felt. We've been stabbed in the back by somebody. We've been betrayed by someone close to us. We've been abandoned by someone who was supposed to love us, maybe even a father. And we feel the aching question in us that asks, is there someone that I can trust? Is there a father? that I can trust. Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 48. Get out your phone app, and as you turn there, before we dive in, let's pray. Jesus, we're gathered this morning as your people because we're eager to hear you speak. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us through Isaiah 48 today? Amen. Isaiah 48, verse one. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. For they call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. 
The former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them, they came to pass. Because I know that you are obstinate, Israel, and your neck is an iron sinew and your forehead brass. I declared them to you from of old before they came to pass, I announced them to you. Lest you should say, my idol did them, my carved image and my metal image commanded them. Now you have heard, now see all this, and will you not declare it? The first thing that we see God saying in this passage is that God says, you can trust me. You can trust me. Isaiah 48, this chapter, there's a confrontational tone in this chapter, but it's the tone of a father who is correcting his child out of love. God's confronting Israel's rebellion and their idolatry. Earlier on in the beginning of Isaiah, Isaiah's message is to Israel, if you don't trust God, destruction will come. But now here in chapter 48, God says, you can trust me because I've been faithful and I'm going to break the power of those who hold you captive in Babylon which is why this language appears in verse three about the former things that I declared of old. They went out from my mouth, I announced them, I did them and they came to pass. God is reminding Israel of all of the past prophecies all throughout history that God has been faithful to his promises, not because of Israel and what they've done, but in spite of Israel and what they've done, he is faithful. And what this passage is talking about, it's not talking about one specific prophecy, but biblical scholars agree that this is talking about what God regularly regularly had done through history, that he always kept his word. And in verse one, it says, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, who came from the waters of Judah, Jacob, Israel, Judah. This is how God's people identify. It should be a reminder. The way they identify is a constant reminder of God's faithfulness. It's referring to the covenant people of God because of the covenant keeping God. They are only God's people because of God. Israel exists because of his promises and what he did in the past, his faithfulness to their ancestors. All of these things came to pass, we're told in verse three. God's trying to point out that these things actually happened. He's saying, this is proof of my faithfulness to you, Israel. But he continues on in verse four and five, and he says, but Israel, you are obstinate. You are stubborn. You are perpetually rebellious, which is why there's this strong imagery that's used of your neck is as an iron sinew. Your forehead is like brass. Israel, this is your condition. This is what you have done. But God continues in verse six and he says, you have heard, now see all of this. He says, you've heard all of these prophecies, but now Israel, I want you to look, open your eyes. All of these things have been fulfilled. They have happened. This is proof that I do what I say. And what God says is when you open your eyes, Israel, you cannot say that a piece of wood or a piece of metal did this for you. It was me. 
I am the one who did this. Israel, you can trust me because I have always kept my word to you even when you have continually rebelled against me. And this is what we see throughout the whole story of the Bible is that the so-called heroes in the Bible are not actually heroes. Abraham, the father of the faith, gave up his wife to another man. Noah is a drunkard. Moses murdered. Rahab, a prostitute. David sexually exploited and murdered. Jonah hated Nineveh. And Saul oversaw the persecution of God's people and the killing of Christians. The whole story of the Bible is saying God is faithful even when his people are not. He is the hero of the story. And this morning, God says to you, you can trust me. In spite of your sin, in spite of your rebellion, you can trust me. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're feeling foolish because of your sin. You know that God said your life would be far better if you didn't sin. Without the sin, if you didn't give in to your temptation, if you didn't give in to those desires, if you didn't keep doing that thing that you're doing, and you know that God said that, and you feel it right now. And as you're sitting here, you feel like Israel. You know what God said, and you're feeling the reality that he was right. And as you sit here, you might be wondering, has God given up on me? Is he done speaking to me? Does he still want to work in my life? And the comfort of what God is saying through Isaiah is that he's not just pointing out how badly you've blown it. He's saying, I am faithful. I am here. I am with you. I have not left you. I'm not done with you and you can trust me. And the good news is that you don't need to be the hero of the story because God is the hero. He has always been the hero. When you look at Israel and you look at every single character in the Bible, they are all deeply flawed. And this means that no one, no one is too far gone for the grace and mercy of God. He is faithful in spite of what you've done, not because of what you've done. No matter your sin or where you have been, God says, I am faithful. You can trust me. And so he's talking about what he's done in the past, all of the things that he's done. But then in verses six through eight, he says, there's some new things that I'm gonna do. And Israel, there are things that you've never known about. But what are these things? that God's gonna do. Let's continue in verse 12. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel whom I've called. I am he, I'm the first and I am the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. Assemble all of you and listen. Whom among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall perform his 
purpose on Babylon and his arms shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I have spoken and called him. I have brought him and he will prosper in his way. Draw near to me, hear this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Next thing we see God saying in this passage is that God says, you can trust me because I'm at work. I'm at work. Verse 12 starts with a call to listen, O Jacob. This call to listen appears 10 different times throughout chapter 48. God is saying, Israel, hear, hear this. Because of my faithfulness in the past, you shouldn't ever hesitate to trust me now for this new thing that I'm about to do. And he says, I am he. What God is saying is, he is the God of the Exodus. This is the exact same language used in Exodus chapter three, verse 14, when God says, I am the great I am. This is the same language. What God is doing is he's reminding Israel of who he is. He says, I'm the God of the Exodus. I'm the creator in control of the universe and in control of history. He wants to remind Israel of this, but he also wants to comfort Israel because Israel needs comfort in the midst of exile because they feel abandoned. They feel forgotten by God, which is why this servant poem in Isaiah, back in Isaiah chapter 40, it starts out by saying, comfort, comfort my people. Because they're living in captivity in Babylon. And Babylon is a superpower, a world superpower at the time. And Israel knows that they could never take down Babylon on their own. But God, but God is now announcing that he's doing something new that they've never known about. He's announcing he's going to do a surprising new thing. He's going to be at work doing the unthinkable thing that Israel could never even fathom. But what is this new thing? In verse 14, it says, who among you or who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. That's talking about Cyrus. He shall perform his purpose on Babylon and his arms shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken and called him. This new thing that God is doing is with Cyrus. If you're here last week, Tyler Johnson preached and he talked about this, about God's sovereignty and being in control, specifically with how God was using Cyrus. And so now we hear God saying, hey, there's this new thing that I'm doing with Cyrus. But who is Cyrus? Cyrus in history is known as Cyrus the Great. He was the king of Persia from 559 to 529 BC. He was a pagan king. You could think of a, a modern day pagan dictator, which meant that he didn't know God, didn't care about God, didn't love God or want anything to do with God. And yet it's this man that God says here in verse 14, he says, God is bringing Cyrus forth to be used for his purposes as a divine agent to deliver Israel from captivity by invading Babylon and taking down the empire. But this would have been mind blowing for Israel. This would not have even just been surprising. This would have blown their minds because they would have thought that God could never use King Cyrus 
This pagan king, a a pagan dictator who doesn't care about God and doesn't know God. But yet God says, he says, yeah, I can. And I am using him. I have the power and the creative ability to use whoever I wish because I am the great I am. I am in control of history. I am the first and I am the last. I am doing something new. Trust me. I am at work through Cyrus. March of 2020. We all remember March of 2020. I remember it like yesterday, but it also feels like it was forever ago. (laughs) Um, We all remember this time because this was a wild time for us in our country. We all felt like we entered into an episode of The Walking Dead. We all felt like we were living in our favorite post-apocalyptic TV show because this is the great shut down in our country because of COVID. And even though I was a pastor here at the time, um, I also had a salon and I was working in a salon. And because of the shutdown, it meant my salon shut down, the business that I owned. And if you're in the service industry, uh, if you don't know this, if you don't work, you don't get paid. <laughs> and so that's, that's a problem. And then Marika, my wife, she's in the dental industry and, you know, COVID was a thing, probably shouldn't be working in people's mouths. So dental offices shut down and she got laid off. And so this was a very uncertain time in our country. Nobody knew what was going on. We didn't know about COVID. All of our groceries tasted like bleach because people were saying you should bleach your groceries because you can get COVID on a box or something like that, right? We had no idea what was going on. But then for our family, it was this time of financial uncertainty. Marika and I were praying a ton during this season. It's kind of like a day-to-day, not knowing what God was gonna do. And our prayer was just, God, we take care of us. This is a really wild time. We've never lived through anything like this. And it was during that season that one of my clients from the salon, he is a non-Christian, doesn't know Jesus, doesn't follow Jesus, actually pretty antagonistic to Christianity from my conversations with him. And this guy was a very successful businessman. He had made a lot of money, but if I'm honest about him, he's probably one of the most selfish, greedy people that I've ever met. He made a lot of money because he used people, took advantage of people for his own financial gain, and he was successful at doing it. And was this guy, during the shutdown, he contacted me and he said, hey bro, he's like, I know you've got a family. And times are crazy right now. I want you to take care of your family. And he gave us a large amount of money, which was crazy, but he didn't just do it once. He did it a few different times during the shutdown. And this was not just surprising, this was shocking. Marika and I knew this guy and we're like, man, out of, if we're just being honest, out of all of the people who would help us, this dude was literally the last dude we would ever think would help us. And yet he did. Out of all of the people that would help us, the most unlikely person. And it's because God was at work. God was able to use even this unlikely person to provide for us and take care of us. Because somehow, in some way, God moved in his heart to do this for us. And in the same way, God can be at work in your life, 
even through people you don't expect. He can surprise you. Some of you are here this morning and you feel like you are actually in exile right now. You feel abandoned. You feel forgotten. You feel misunderstood. You feel alone. And you're having a hard time right now seeing how God is at work in the midst of your circumstances because of the pain and because of the uncertainty. But what if God wants to surprise you? In the same way that he surprised Israel with Cyrus, he surprised our family. What if he wants to surprise you? Maybe in your circumstances, you've begun to actually put God into a box and it's preventing you from being able to see. It's preventing you from being able to see that God is at work or maybe how he wants to work in your life and in your circumstances. But God is saying here, he says, I am the same God who worked in creation and I am powerful enough to work in the midst of your circumstances right now. Church, our God is the God of surprises. He can work in the midst of your life, even through people and experiences that you would never expect. And he's inviting you this morning to trust him to trust that he's big enough and that he's powerful enough to work in ways that you don't expect. He can even use someone who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't follow Jesus and doesn't care about Jesus to help you, to comfort you and to deliver you because he is big enough. My question for you this morning is where in your life is God inviting you to trust that he is at work? Where in your life is God inviting you to trust that he is at work? Maybe it's in the midst of your family. There's something going on in your family right now. Maybe it is with your finances and something that's going on in your workplace with your job that's really confusing or concerning. Maybe it's with your mental health and you feel overwhelmed and you've been having serious mental health issues and crises and it's just hard for you to even see how God might be at work. Where is God inviting you to trust that he is at work? Because God says he's going to work through Cyrus, but how? How will God work through Cyrus? Let's pick up in verse 17. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grain. Their name would have never been cut off or destroyed from before me. Go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea, declare this, with a shout of joy, proclaim it, send it to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant, Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow from the rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. The last thing we see 
God's saying in this passage is that God says, I am a trustworthy father. I'm a trustworthy father. Isaiah 48 is interesting. The the structure of what's going on here is there's this poem that we're in. And it starts in Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 leading all the way up to Isaiah 48. These eight chapters, what we just read is the climax of all eight of these chapters. It's where everything has been leading. And there's this theme of listening again. In verse 18, oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Other Bible translations say, oh, that you had listened. Listening. This is a father speaking to his children wants them to listen to him because listening right now is more important even than ever because he said, hey, if you had listened originally to me, then you would have fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant. That's what verses 18 and 19 are saying here. The promise that God made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, chapter 15, and chapter 17, God said, if you had listened and obeyed, you would have fulfilled this. But God says now, hey, if you, if you trusted me, my way leads to life. But now, my kids, you're in this mess. You're in, the, you're in this mess in Babylon, but I'm going to do something about it because I love you. And here's what he's going to do. He's gonna redeem his people. In verses 20 and 21, we see this. It says, go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea, This language is really important because this is the exact same language that he's used in Exodus, in the Exodus from Egypt. God's people are told, go out and flee. But there's a very important contrast here in this passage because when God's people fled Egypt, they had to leave with haste in the middle of the night because of fear for the Egyptians. But we see the exact opposite thing here. It says, go out and shout, with joy, proclaim it, send it to the end of the earth, that this will be a joyous shouting of their redemption. It will be a new kind of exodus for God's people. God's saying, I'm telling you what I'm going to do because I want you to trust me, Israel. This is my fatherly heart for you. I want to deliver you. I want to free you from your captivity. But not only do I want to, I have the power to do it. Will you trust me? Last week, I experienced one of the saddest moments of my life. It was last Wednesday. I picked up my boys from school like I usually do, and we drove home, and we got home, and typically, you know, I've got three boys, and so typically we all get home, and uh, Wyatt is, we'll just say, because I got three boys, we'll just say he's my diligent one. He's, he's a diligent uh, boy, and so the first thing he does is he goes and he gets his homework out. He sits down at the kitchen table. He just starts doing his homework. I don't have to ask him. Now, Jonah, on the other hand, Jonah's my middle son, and Jonah, not so much. I literally have to drag him to the table. I said, hey, Jonah, you got to do your homework, and then he runs away, and I got to drag him back. Hey, you got to do your homework, and we do that for about two hours, but that's not Wyatt, right? Wyatt, Wyatt just sits down, and he does his homework, Well, last Wednesday, that wasn't the case. He didn't sit at the table and he didn't get his homework. Instead, he went into his bedroom and he closed the bedroom door. So I thought that was weird. I was like, oh, something's up with Wyatt, you know? 
And so I, I was sitting at the table and I called him. I said, hey, what? Hey, bud, like, come on, do your homework. And he didn't, and I didn't hear anything. And so a few minutes later, I was like, hey, what? You gotta come and do your homework, bud. And he didn't come again. And so a few minutes later, I called him and I said, hey, what? Uh, come do your homework. And still nothing. And so I was like, oh, this is weird. And about 30 minutes had gone by at, at that time. And so I knocked on his door and I went into his room and, and he, I opened the door and I, I saw that he's just sitting on the floor and he's looking down and he's building some Legos, making a Lego car. And I was like, hey, bud. And so I sat down next to him and I said, hey, dude, what, what's up, man? I said, I can tell, tell something's bothering you. Nothing, just kept looking down, building his Legos. So asked him again, I said, hey, Wyatt, I said, I can tell something's, something's going on. Like, what, what's wrong, man? Like, what's bothering you? I can tell something's bothering you. Kept looking down, nothing. I was like, okay. So after a few minutes, I was like, hey, Wyatt, I said, did something happen at school today? And he kept looking at the ground and, and he nodded his head. Like, yes. I was like, okay. And still looking down at the ground. And so I said, hey, Wyatt, I said, man, I love you. And I said, you know you can tell me anything. I said, you know that I love you because I love you. There's nothing that you can say or do that'll ever make me love you less. There's nothing you could say or do that'll ever make me love you more. You know that I love you. And I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to leave him in his agony, right? I can tell something's off. And as soon as I said that, he looked up at me, looked up to his right, looked at me right in the eyes and he's looking in my eyes and it was as if he remembered who I am. And as soon as he looked at me, he just began to open up. He started talking, but he didn't just begin to open up. He fell in my lap and began weeping. And he told me, dad, I was bullied at school today. And you know, I know that day's coming. We all know that day's coming. You try to prepare your kids, but why it's 10. And for me, man, it just crushed me because it was so painful for him. He just came undone. It was just weeping uncontrollably in my arms as I held him. This is the first time he's ever been bullied. Thank God at age 10, but it's tragic. And here's the thing. I know you guys all love me. You love our family. And some of you know Wyatt. Just a disclaimer, please don't say anything to him. Don't make it weird, right? I, I told him I was gonna share this. He said it's fine, but I know you guys mean well, but just don't say anything to him, okay? Just, yeah. Um, but here's the thing. This is probably the most painful thing that's ever happened in Wyatt's life. And he shared it with me because he trusted me as his father. He trusted me as his father to comfort him and to do something about it. And let me tell you, I was like, hey, dude, we're going to do something about this. I said, what, which kid is this at school? I said, we're going to go down there and we're going to lay hands on him and pray for him. But it's going to be it's going to be a different type of laying on of hands than we see in the Bible. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that 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 was the thing, you know, that was in me. Um, but we didn't do that. Um, Everybody at the school knows I'm a pastor, so that wouldn't have gone well either. Um, but the reality is we had a really good conversation and I was able to tell him, hey, I remember 30 years ago when I was bullied, you know, for the first time and we were able to pray and pray for the kid that was bullying him. 
But the reason why he told me is because he trusted me as his father. Church, you have a trustworthy father. God won't abandon you and leave you in your agony alone. He loves you. He is for you. He is with you. He wants what's best for you. And he wants to lead you out of Babylon, out of the idolatry. But do you want to leave? Do you want to leave? Or are you more committed to putting your trust in idols? Because God has made a way out for you. And he's asking you this morning, will you trust me? There's a way out. See, there is a problem for Israel. The problem for Israel is that leaving Babylon doesn't mean that they leave their sin there too. It will come with them because a change of location from Babylon to another place doesn't bring a change of heart. The problem is not God's people living in Babylon. It's that Babylon is living in them. And the same is true for us today. Babylon, the problem is that Babylon is living in you. And God doesn't just want to get you out of Babylon. He wants to get Babylon out of you. But Cyrus cannot do that. King Cyrus can't do that. He doesn't have the ability to free you from sin. Which is why... God is not just sending Cyrus for his people, but we're told here in verse 16 that he is sending the servant and his spirit. He is sending his servant Jesus and his spirit. He is sending Jesus and the spirit of God in order to get Babylon and all that Babylon represents out of you in order to free you from the power of sin. Babylon doesn't know God as a trustworthy father, but the body of Christ does. Church, you have a trustworthy father. Will you trust him today? And as we come to the table for communion this morning, the invitation is to Jesus, the one who demonstrated the love of your trustworthy father, who was, willingly, who was willing to go to the cross in order to get Babylon out of you and put his spirit in you. And so as we partake of the elements this morning, the bread represents Christ's body that was freely given. And the wine or the juice represents Christ's blood that was shed. If you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, this meal is for you. And if you are not a Christian, our hope and prayer is that you would want to follow Jesus. And if that's something you're curious about or you sense God's stirring something in you, come and find me or any of the other pastors or staff, or we've got prayer teams on the side, we would love to talk with you and pray with you. But for us, the people of God, let us respond to our trustworthy Father by taking communion this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, you are kind to us. You're patient with us. You are the demonstration of the trustworthiness and the faithfulness of God. Spirit of God, I pray right now that you would be moving and speaking in people's lives. 
Lord, we all need you. We need to be able to trust in you. And I thank you for the good news that you are trustworthy in spite of our rebellion and in spite of our sin, Lord. I pray for those who are sitting in their sin today and just feel shame and feel foolish, Lord, that they would know that there is hope and that there is healing found in you, Jesus, because you're faithful, not because of them and what they've done, but in spite of what they've done, Lord, you are loving and gracious. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be convicting us of sin this morning. Or for those of us, Lord, who can't seem to see how you might be at work in the midst of our life and circumstances because of the pain and we feel in exile, I pray that you would be the God of all comfort, Lord, that you would be the God of surprises, that you would show up in people's lives and do far more than what they could ever ask or think. Jesus, that you would be moving us to trust you, that you've invited us to trust you in a way where we can't seem to see that you might be at work, Lord, an area of our life. Jesus, thank you that you are you are our way, Lord, that, that your blood was shed so that we can sit in your presence even here this morning. And Father God, that you are our trustworthy Father. Lord, that you sent Jesus not just to get us out of Babylon, but Lord, to do the work of getting Babylon out of us. And you don't just do the surgery to remove, but you give us your life-giving spirit. And so Jesus, I pray for those who are sitting here and Lord, they might not know you, they don't know you, they're asking questions, Lord, that you'd reveal yourself to them. And so, Lord, we thank you that we know you, that we love you because you first loved us. It's in your name, amen.